Briggs, Debbie, that's a great story, and so many great stories coming out of Promises right now. That's uh, one of the ministries we're very proud of. That's a huge impact on our community all the time. So we're, uh, Promises has been doing some great things for many, many years, but now, obviously, with the needs ramped up, they're working overtime, adding extra volunteers to come in and help, and so we're grateful to have Promises uh, to be able to meet the needs of our community, and so we uh, continue to pray for them. If you can help volunteer uh, let us know. We can connect you to that as well. So a lot of great stories coming out of this time uh, as we go through kind of a difficult time in our world. And in case you are just now tuning in, I want to make sure you know this is not TBN uh, or Daystar. This is First Baptist Burleson, and we're glad that you joined us. So don't change the channel if you're looking for something else because I, I think you'll enjoy staying with us. But uh, this is a different format, different look. But to be honest, I know myself, as long as our uh, worship band and others, we were tired of talking to empty chairs, so we thought maybe let's just kind of do this and bring our living room to yours, and we can connect that way, kind of a house church model, right, which is the way the church started in the New Testament. So I'm glad you've joined with us, and again, make those comments on Facebook, uh, let us know how we can help, get to our website and our app, uh, and make sure we are staying connected with you and meeting any kind of needs that you have. And this, this morning, I just want to talk about the issue that is obviously rampant in our world, and that's the issue of fear. That's something we all face. I mean, and if you watch television, and I encourage you again not to watch a whole lot of it, but every day seems like there's another reason to be fearful. There's another reason to be concerned. And as the church, I mean, that's our message. We are not afraid. God tells us, Jesus told us so many times, do not be afraid. But the reality is we're human. And we face some of those issues. We put our faith and trust in things that are being taken away. It's just amazing how just almost overnight our world changed. And so this idea of fear, it's real. It's a reality that we all face. And rather than trying to hide it and act like we have it all together, I want to encourage you this morning to be honest. And I want to look at a story that actually that comes out of the life of King David, who I know for most of us is probably one of our Bible heroes and we know the great stories about David, the great things that he did, but we also know the boneheaded things that he did. I mean, that's one thing I love about David. We get to see him as a real person. And kind of begs that question, have you ever been afraid? Now, you know, we expect our kids to be afraid. We know we've checked in on our kids to turn on the lights, make sure nothing's under the bed. We've, we've had all those experiences as parents, and we expect kids to be afraid, but not necessarily adults. But I was reading a story the other day about a little boy who lives in the Midwest, and there was a storm coming through, one of those big Midwest storms with lightning and thunder, and this little boy was scared, so he cries out to his mom, Mom, can you come and, and into my room? So she comes in and says, Mom, would you just sleep with me during this storm? And she said, well, honey, I'd love to, but I, I need to sleep with your dad. The little boy looks at his mom and says, well, he's just a big baby, right? <laughs> so even as adults, we get afraid. We expect it of kids, but to be honest, as adults, we can easily become afraid of different things. And no doubt there's a lot of panic and anxiety going on right now, and people are looking for answers, searching for hope, trying to make sense of all of this, uh, looking for bailout, wonder how am I going to survive is this, if this thing continues on much longer. So my hope today is you're going to be encouraged as we look at this story of David, a very real person, uh, and we're going to look at a song that he wrote out of a very dark place, out of a literally a dark place, but a dark experience in his life. So if you have your Bible or uh, iPad or iPhone or whatever you have, uh, go ahead and open to Psalm 34, 
if you notice on that psalm, there's a subscription. Before verse 1 begins, in most translation, there's a little subscription. And it says this, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. So that little, in mine, it's in italics, it gives us a little backstory behind this psalm. And several of them do that. And you know, King David wrote many of the psalms that we have. And so this gives us a little insight into what was going on. And it goes all the way back to 1 Samuel 18. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, if you can flip back there, verse 6 tells us this experience of David's life just right after he killed Goliath. Okay, so pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 18, 1 Samuel. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out with all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels, and with lyres. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was angry, and this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So you probably know that story, very familiar. Uh, as David comes back and Saul comes back after David defeated the Goliath of the Philistine army, which led to the Israelite army defeating the Philistine army. And so the word had gotten back to town. So these women are coming out and they're singing, and it, their song quickly went to number one on the top 40, right? So everybody's singing this song, everyone's celebrating. And here's Saul, who we already know is a little messed up, right? He becomes very jealous at David. It's already been clear, the Bible says, that David is going to be the next king. And so Saul is threatened by David. He becomes very jealous of David because rather than singing songs about Saul, they're singing songs about David. And so Saul seeks to destroy David. He wants to kill him and finally gets to the point that David has to run. He has to run for his own life. And so David's on the run and Saul knows that he's gone. And Saul sends 30,000 troops after David. Now just think about that for a minute. 30,000 soldiers to find one guy. It's to the extreme, right? So we see again the depth of Saul's messed upness that he wants David dead so badly he's going to send in a large chunk of his army leaving his town vulnerable to find David in this pursuit. And so David's on the run and David has been obedient. Obviously obedient more than Saul and more than the Israelite army. That's how he was able to kill Goliath because of his trust in God. But now he's afraid. He's running and running out of places to hide. Uh, and it's been said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. If you've ever been to a place you've been e exhausted physically, sometimes it's just hard to think right. It's hard to process situations. It's hard to, it's hard to be strong. It's hard to stand firm when we're just exhausted <laughs> mentally or emotionally, physically, whatever it might be. And this is where we find David. And so because of his emotional state, he begins to take matters in his own hands. And he's trying to run from place to place and trying to face, find a place to hide out. And so he begins to walk away from obedience. And you and I know that whenever we stop obeying the Lord, we make some dumb mistakes. And that's what David is about to do. And we pick up that story in 1 Samuel 21, starting with verse 8. And so David is on the run, and he's coming to his own, looking for places to hide, running out of places to hide. And David says to Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission 
was urgent. Okay, so he's lying about that a little bit. It was urgent because he's on the run. This wasn't the king's mission. He's running for his life. And so he finds this priest and asks him, is there some kind of weapon I can use? Because I, I had to leave quickly. I don't have mine. Verse 9, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. And David said, well, there's none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servant, look at this man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And so they basically just let David go. And so he's on the run now from Saul, and he's afraid of this king of Gath. And so he finds himself hiding in the cave of Adullam. Now, I don't know if the town Gath sounds very familiar to you, but it was the hometown of Goliath. So again, we just see how David is kind of losing it. So he takes the sword of Goliath from the priest, and he drags it into the hometown of Goliath, thinking maybe they're not going to notice that he's bringing the weapon that was their hometown hero that he killed. And so immediately people realize it. Hey, that's Goliath's sword. That must be David who killed him. And so they grab him and they capture him and they bring him before this king. And so he's afraid and he's trying to figure out what to do. How do I get out of this mess? And so he just pretends to be a crazy person. And so that's the subscript of Psalm 34. It's kind of helpful to see the, the state that David is in as he writes this song. He's tired. He's scared. I mean, you can imagine if you've ever been in a situation like this, your heart's pounding, you're sweaty. And here he is in this cave, and the first thing that he does is he writes a song. So look at Psalm 34. Look at the first three verses. As David begins this psalm or this song, he starts it with praise. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And the truth is we need courage to praise God in times of difficulty. And you can see that the courage is building back in David's life because he's refocused on God. In fact, he includes five different phrases in this psalm that deal with worship. And so, you know, as we think about that issue in this dark time, there are a lot of good things going on. Debbie shared a great story. What are some things you guys are seeing that are positives in the midst of this dark time in our world yeah I, I think the the biggest thing I've seen is just the time being spent at home with family just instead of everyone going their separate ways throughout the day and then meeting back up for family dinner at the end yeah. of the night we've just all been around each other and we'll see how long that that lasts to be a good yeah. thing but <laughs> for now it's been great just being around and hanging around the whole family yeah, definitely definitely yeah like I uh I mentioned earlier uh, I've seen a lot of our life groups here at First Burleson meeting together virtually online and checking in on each other and meeting each other's needs. It's been really cool to see that. I had a uh, one of our life groups that mainly consists of uh, an older generation 
uh, they actually reached out to me and says, hey, they said, hey, Sam, can you walk us through how to use Zoom so we can meet with our life group? And I think that just shows that our groups love each other. They want to see each other. So there's a lot of really cool things happening there. And actually, uh, during this service, my wife uh, sent me a text, and it was a picture of her meeting with her uh, 11th grade girls that she's a life group leader of, and they were all on Zoom or a free conference, one of those video conference platforms, they were just meeting together. And so it's been really cool to see the creativity of some people, uh, to be able to see each other face-to-face and communicate. It's been really cool to see that happening. That's cool. Very cool. I think for me, two things. One, it was unbelievable yesterday we were were remulching our flower beds. And uh, all of a sudden, slowly throughout that, like, first hour, neighbor by neighbor by neighbor, we started helping each other with each other's yards. (laughs) I'm like, I would have never spent this much time with you, especially in the last thing that I really want to do, which is mulch the flower bed. (laughs) And so I thought that was amazing. Number two, I mean, I'm just, this is just very real and honest, but I've never been closer with my family than I am now. Hmm. Like I, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife is better than it's ever been because I'm home all the time. Usually I'm running off to work and running and yeah, I, I have time with them at home every night, but there's, this is just unlike anything, and I think it's just a blessing from the Lord, and I think in the middle where we can feel like this is a negative thing, like the Lord is really just setting down some amazing roots for our family, and I'm just I'm just thankful for yeah. it. So, Cool. Well, you know, it's been great um, just seeing people out in the neighborhood, uh, neighbors getting together. We had a socially distancing party last night. <laughs> uh, we pulled out our chairs, all sat out in the street, and we visited and got to know each other. One street over, they taped off a pickleball court on the street, <laughs> pulled a net across the street, and the neighbors got out, and they played pickleball. And um, I've even been, been to the grocery store a few times, and every time I've been there, there has been someone in need, like a senior adult, that needed something. The shelves are bare, but there has been someone that has run to their aid to get them milk or bread or meat or whatever. So that's really been great to just see that people jumping to the need and helping each other. Yeah, I thought that was cool last night sitting out, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, if this was in the winter, we wouldn't be sitting outside, or in the, the heat of summer, we wouldn't be sitting outside most likely. So even the timing of this thing, at least for our region, sound seems pretty good. And of course, social media and all the ways to connect. Imagine if we didn't have that and how isolating that could be. So even we see God's timing and God's provision, even in the midst of this craziness that we're going through. And, and obviously David is seeing this, uh, and yet he is committed in obedience to praise God. And that's, that's what it takes. It is a discipline. We don't always feel like it. And honestly, we base so much of what we do on our feelings uh, which can be misleading at times. So it's important that we stay focused on doing what we're supposed to do, even when we don't feel like it. And I love this, this statement. It, it takes obedience to move from paranoia and pain to praise. Mm. And so out of obedience, we praise God. Out of obedience, we're meeting in worship. In fact, this Wednesday night, we're doing a Passover meal streaming live from this stage. So I invite you to join with us, and we're going to send out information on some elements that you will need because what we want to do after that Uh, time of understanding the Passover meal, we want to take communion together. Now, this is typically done when we're together as a church, and that's part of being a family, but we can still do it even though we're in our homes. It's another way of connecting us together as a church. In fact, we're going to send out an unleavened bread recipe if you want to go to that extreme. (laughs) But uh, to set it as a family and take communion together, then there'll be some teaching elements. Uh, We want parents and grandparents to teach their children teach their students about the meaning of communion, 
why we take it, who takes it, what does it mean? And even our students uh, and our children's ministry is going to have a teaching time after that as well online uh, to help students that may not have believing parents or that may not be something they're able to do together so they can still understand and see what's going on. So this is a great time to, to really to come together as a church in a very tangible, though separate way, uh, and give praise to God. And so I hope you'll join in this Wednesday at 6.30 as we learn about the Seder meal and then take communion together. And this is, again, just helping us to understand is David's perspective. You know, he was still on the run from Saul. He, he, was still, he still had 30,000 men trying to find him. So his problem didn't get smaller. He just saw that his God was bigger. And if you look back at your life, so many times that we have been afraid, it's not that that thing that made us afraid goes away. I mean, this virus, we can talk about courage all day long, but the virus is not going to go away. Right? It may last a little bit longer than we want to, and it doesn't seem to be diminishing even at this point. But what we get to see is that our God is bigger than this. And in, in big ways and small ways, he's showing that he's here with us. He wasn't caught unaware about this thing, and he's providing and, you know, people are making all kinds of assessments. Is this God's judgment on the planet? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe that's what is going on. I think this is more of God has allowed this to wake the church up and to drive people to him. Um, you know, one of our struggles here in America as a church, we get very complacent and very comfortable. And we talked about the 930 service. What we expect to see is once this is over and we get back to church, that our churches are going to be filled. Uh, for people who kind of took that for granted and didn't see church as important to be there, uh, that they're going to flock to church together. I hope we don't create more of a community that stays online. Right? <laughs> I know it's great to sit there in your pajamas and your coffee, but I hope you got up and got dressed at least. Uh, I know I put on my makeup. So just a <laughs> you know, normal routine kind of stuff. But that it's going to draw us because we're going to miss being together so badly we can't wait to be together. And obviously David was here isolated. He was quarantined in this cave by himself, and he begins to focus on God. And out of this fear experience, he began to praise the Lord. I mean, here's a guy that just killed a giant, and he's hiding out in a cave. You talk about rock bottom. He's hiding out in this dark cave, in this dark place with this dark experience. And look at what he writes in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. What a great promise. Here he is in the dark cave, scared, running for his life. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Again, Saul was still after him, right? He had still brought disruption to Gath. So, but yet in this sense, God delivers him. Doesn't take the problem away, but delivers him. He begins to see things differently. I love this. Those who look to him are radiant, you know, the fact that we can smile and laugh, there's a, there's a holy glow about us <laughs> as we go through this experience because our hope is not in things. You know, as Michael said, it's been very humbling because honestly, we, we do put our faith in things. And, and God has taken those things away from many of us to learn to depend on him and trust in him. And what David does in this passage, in this part of this psalm, is he admits his fear to God. I just want you to know that's okay. Again, you're not going to handle this perfectly. You're not going to always do it right. There are going to be moments that you feel like cratering, that you fall apart. It's okay to say that to God. It's okay to say, hey, I, I, don't, I don't have this all figured out. I know what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to think, but right now this is where I am. 
Even David, as, as he's acting like this crazy person, I just imagine in his mind, he's thinking, God, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to embarrass myself. Uh, and if you'll get me out of this, then I will listen to you. I'll stop disobeying you and I will listen to you. And you may have been in the place before you've tried to make deals with God. I know that I have. It's not a good move. If, you know, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Uh, and if you do, you better fulfill your promise. Uh, but this is where David is. And God delivers him mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even though he's still in the cave physically. And he begins to see. But it starts really with his admitting that he made a mistake, that he took matters into his own hand. He tried to fix it on his own, and he made a mistake. He realized it, and he cries out to God. So he doesn't candy coat this prayer. He's honest before the Lord, and I encourage you to do that, to be honest before the Lord, to admit. Because, again, I want to remind you, you don't always have to be strong. Our society says, you know, you have to always have it together. You can't let, don't let them see you cry. Don't let them see you sweat. It's okay to admit that you're hurting. You don't always have to be strong. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to handle this day after day after day properly. I mean, again, it's kind of cool to be together as family and spend time together, but we're going to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> Eventually, we're going to get tired of each other, right? And we need a release. And where do we go, you know? So that's reality. And so we can deal with that and, and cry out to the Lord. As Paul reminds us that God desires our weaknesses. He desires for us to be open and honest about our weaknesses because when we are weak, then he is strong. And we get to see his strength in our lives. And so David keeps on uh, as he writes in verse 6, this poor man, talking about himself, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Again, through this song, we see that David lists different ways that he prays. In verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord. In verse 6, he says, I cried out. Verse 10, I seek. Verse 17, I cry out. So we see the difference. There is a difference between praying and crying out. I don't know if you've ever cried out to the Lord. Usually when we cry out, we're at a place of desperation. We've tried everything we know to do, and we find ourselves like David at rock bottom, maybe in a cave, maybe in a dark place, and we cry out. I know there's been many times I've cried out, and my cry is just, Lord, help me. I have no idea what to do next. I feel hopeless and helpless, and I need you now. And David says he hears, and he responds. And he doesn't look down on us because of our weakness. He doesn't call us wimps because we are in this state. Just like David, he responds to him. And so David has this essence of fear. And when you break it down, fear really is idolatry. Whether we're fearing a person like David fearing Saul, he made Saul a god. He gave Saul power over his life that was really reserved for God. We can do the same thing with circumstances, with our financial situation, with this virus. Whenever we start to fear things, we actually give that thing control over our lives. Hmm. And God makes it clear that he's the only one that should be controlling our lives. It's, and that's a hard process. It's hard to get to that point because we're so wired to depend on things. And, you know, up until a few weeks ago, we had a lot of things. Things were going great, strong economy. People were massing all kinds of things. We had a lot of material things. And now those things are being taken away. And it's a natural response to be afraid because we've made those things gods in our lives. 
Again, I don't necessarily see this as a judgment of God, but I think it is a humbling of God to humble his church, to humble his people, because we can be dependent upon buildings and sound systems and cameras and all the things that we love and enjoy and are great and awesome, but it's not what we depend on. We can still worship God without these things, but we're grateful for them because they enhance it and they help us connect. But I don't know about you, some of my most incredible worship times are when it was just me and God, yeah. you know, and in this place of realizing my need for him. And so thinking of this, you know, this idea of fear, and the opposite seems to be trust. But when you break that down, it's a very fine line. Because whether we fear something or we trust something, we give that thing power over our lives. If you fear something, you give it negative power over your life, and it distorts your view and your perspective. If you trust in it, if you trust in God, you're giving him power in your life. You're giving him control over your life. Well, that's the right move. Right? The Bible says we are to fear God, and that, that term means to respect God. In other words, it means to give God control of our lives to utilize his power in our lives. So to fear means to trust the Lord, and he says that we can do this and trust that God is here with us. So this is a, a healthy fear <laughs> to really understand. Now, again, it's the right thing to say, but what does that look like in your life? How are you giving God control of the areas of your life? What are you specifically doing? Right? It's, it's a churchy thing to say. It's a right thing to say, but how is that manifest in your life right now? How are you truly trusting in God for these things? And then in verse 7, he writes this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So we have to have courage to obtain God's provision. You can hear the words of David as he writes this song. His courage is strengthening. His resolve is strengthening. His, his hope for the future is being strengthened as he writes this psalm of praise. And he reminds us in this verse 7 that God is a God of deliverance. In fact, he uses the word for salvation seven times in this psalm. So as he cries out to the Lord, he is confident that God will save him. And God will save us. God is going to get us through this. Now, we're going to be different. The world's going to be changed because of it. But it's going to be better. <laughs> if we're trusting in God and allowing him to lead us through this, it's going to be for our betterment. We are going to be stronger and grow more through this time because of our relying on God. And David reminds us that when we ask God to save us and provide for us, that he saves us and he provides for us. He is a good, good father, and he is not going to reject us. He's going to provide for us. And then David reminds us that God not only gives us deliverance, but he sends the deliverer. You know, as David writes this, I just reflect back to Moses. Obviously, this is before Jesus was born, so... We know Moses as the Redeemer. God sent Moses to Egypt to send the Israelites out of captivity to the Promised Land. He was their deliverer. So David reflects on that as he writes this psalm, but it's also pointing to Jesus, our ultimate deliverer, to know that Jesus is our deliverer. God doesn't just send deliverance. He sends a deliverer that we can follow him. This phrase, the angel of the Lord, only appears three times in the psalms. And it's a term known as a Christophany. It's a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament to where we see Jesus appear on the scene. And David says, he encamps around you. That's a reflection back to the story of Elisha we talked about last week in 2 Kings 6 where the prophet is surrounded by an army, again, kind of like David, looking to kill him. 
And Elisha's servant goes outside and he sees this army with their weapons and their power and their might, and he's afraid. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. And then he prays that God would open the eyes of his servant that he might see. What a great prayer. And the servant's eyes are open and he sees the army of the Lord surrounding them, protecting them. Chariots of fire, much stronger than man's army. And this is, again, that reflection of David makes this statement that he encamps around us. God has encircled us, before us, behind us, around us, above us, below us. He's got us covered. Even though the world is very chaotic and there's a lot of confusion going on, our God is still in control. And he just reminds us that whenever we feel afraid, out of obedience we praise God. And through that process we're reminded that Jesus is near. As you read throughout Scripture, there are a lot of enlistment passages where God calls someone to do something, a prophet, uh, the disciples. And many times the first response is fear. And God's words are always the same, and Jesus is always the same. Do not be afraid because I am with you. Man, I hope that sinks in deep for you right now. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, you need to be cautious. You need to be wise. We need to obey the the restrictions and things that are handed down to us, but we don't have to be afraid because of it. This thing is probably not going to change tomorrow. It's not going to go away tomorrow. But our reliance on God can grow even stronger to where we are not afraid. He says, I will be with you. So remember that next time that you're afraid or you hear something new about this and cause you to panic again, just remember that your Redeemer is near. Jesus is right here with us to deliver us. So the challenge I have for us is I want you to memorize Psalm 34. It's a great passage just to read or memorize to say every day. And so I just wanted to read the last few verses of this psalm. Psalm 34, let me start in verse 8. Just, just hear the words of David where he writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, and none of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned, The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Man, what a great song. I wish he'd put the notes to this so we could sing this, but what a great song. What a great passage just to remind us that we have courage in Christ. And in this time, maybe you don't feel like it, but I want to encourage you to worship. Maybe you didn't join with us in the first part of this, but now I encourage you to join. Just a minute, I want to pray, and then we're going to sing. And this is your time to respond. 
you can respond on Facebook. You can give comments. You can go to our app or website and send us prayer requests, send us comments, needs that you have. You can call our office. We're here. We're still working to minister to you. So let us know. We want to just remind you that God is with you and we're with you. God uses his people to encourage one another. And we want to be that for you. So if you just join me in prayer and then we'll sing together. And that's your time to respond. Maybe together as a family just to continue to pray together, worship together. Whatever you need. Man, as much as we know God is in his house on Sunday morning, he's in your house this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our deliverer. For those of us who trust in you, we are not put to shame. We are never condemned. And our hope never dissipates. It never goes away, even if our circumstances don't change. And God, we would pray that you would change our circumstances. But if you choose not to, we pray for strength. We pray for for honesty, to be able to be open in front of you and in front of one another to say, I'm not handling this very well. I'm afraid. I I fear death. I fear the outcome of this. I fear my future, my job, my career, my family. I have no idea the impact that this is going to have on me. That's an honest prayer. And God receives those prayers. And he doesn't condemn us for them. But he delivers us from our fears. He allows us to put our eyes on him. And as David says, not that our fears go away, not that the things that we fear go away, but we start to see that our God is bigger than anything we face. This virus or anything else that comes along. Thank you, God, for being bigger than our fears, bigger than our enemies, bigger than COVID-19. And God, may you calm our fears relieve our fears and empower us to shout your message from the rooftops. Your desire is that the gospel would be spread to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that that is this time. That through social media, through the internet, through the world wide web, that the world would know that there is a redeemer and there is a deliverer who desires to deliver those that he has created. God, thank you. Thank you. And we will praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.